Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense, Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, Penguin Random House 2015, and all day long I write about, tweet about, talk about, and think about words, mothers, pregnancy, and parenthood, and the intersections and webs all that creates. A couple weeks ago, I got an email from a young man whose wife is pregnant with their first baby. He's been uh, attending her prenatal visits, and her doctor told them during an early visit that they'd have prenatal screening at their next checkup. This young man was a bit confused because he wasn't familiar with the words prenatal screening. The doctor was in a rush, and this man didn't feel confident enough to ask his doctor to slow down and tell him what he was talking about. So he emailed me and asked what that test was. I think he had good reason to be a bit confused because that term, prenatal screening, isn't one specific test. Routine prenatal care includes lots of prenatal screening, uh, from dipping the urine to drawing blood to doing ultrasounds to the test that this man's wife's doctor almost certainly was talking about, prenatal genetic screening. I told my emailer to check out Um, chapter four in Common Sense Pregnancy titled Prenatal Tests and go to the next appointment with a list of questions. Then, here's the brave part, ask them. I don't care how big a rush your doc's in. Ask them anyways. Doctors don't know what you don't know unless you tell them. And essentially, your entire relationship with your doctor or midwife or healthcare provider is one where the service that they are providing to you that you are paying for is information. You know, and all day long, doctors are talking about essentially the same topics. And they're used to talking about things at a level that's oftentimes a little over our heads. So here's what you do about that. You slow them down and you say, what do you mean by prenatal screening? I don't know what that is. And then the doctor goes, oh, okay, I get it. And they answer your questions. You're helping them to serve you by asking your questions. And, you know, we use all kinds of vague terms when we're talking about pregnancy and birth and labor. And we often, all of them, we use them incorrectly. And that creates a lot of confusion when one person thinks you're talking about one thing and somebody else means something entirely different. One of my listeners, Carrie Murphy, she reached out on Twitter after listening to a recent podcast She's a doula, a freelance writer, a poet, and it turns out that we write for some of the same magazines and websites. And she asked if she could come on the show today as a guest to talk about the thing that she and I have most in common, which is our belief that words matter, especially when it comes to the way we talk about maternal health, women's lives, birth, pregnancy, motherhood, and all that. Carrie's as big a feminist as I am, and we're both really sensitive to the way terms become used and misused, especially in the birth industry. So let's get Carrie on the phone. Hey, Jeannie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So you are in New Mexico, right? Yes, I am. I live in Albuquerque. I have always wanted to go there. I haven't yet. I've never been to New Mexico. You should definitely go. I am a huge New Mexico evangelist. I'm not originally from here, but I... I'm a huge convert, and I want everybody to love it as much as I do, so you should definitely come. I feel feel that way a lot about Portland, Oregon, too. And yeah. I, and apparently we have similarities, except for not the weather. Yeah. Actually, my friend who was a doula and a NICU nurse just moved to Portland, um, and she likes it a lot, so. Oh, yeah? Huh. Cool. I might know her. If she just moved to Portland, I probably don't. 
Yeah, she just moved like six months ago. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Carrie, I um, kind of did a little bit of an intro, you know, before we got on the phone here today. But okay. I, I want to read your bio so our readers know more about you and who you are and what you do. So let's read it all official style here. Carrie Murphy is a birth doula, a poet, and a freelance writer. Originally from Baltimore, Maryland, she lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she formerly worked as the baby-friendly event coordinator for the New Mexico Breastfeeding Task Force. Carrie has an MFA in creative writing from New Mexico State University and is the author of two books of poetry, including Fat Daisies, which was released in 2015 from Big Lux Books. That's, I love an eclectic bio like yours. So (laughs) (laughs) it's, yeah, I've got a lot of the same stuff. Um, But where do we start? Where do we start talking about what you do? Um, Well, I mean, basically, I do a lot of different things. I teach writing, I'm a doula, I'm a writer. But um, I think being a doula and being a writer are probably the most meaningful and most important things that I do, for sure. So you've got two really different jobs, freelance writer and doula. And I had a similar career for a while, labor and delivery nursing and freelance writer. Yeah. And between the two, I cobbled together a living until I was ready to be done with bedside nursing. And my writing career was strong enough that I could just do that solo. Mm -hmm. So what about you? How do you make the two-job career work for you? Oh, well, I am... um you know, when I, when I went to graduate school, I, um, got used to having sort of a flexible schedule. And then when I finished my master's, <clears throat> I was sort of thrust into the work world. And I was like, I don't like this. Like, I don't have any time to do like, even like go to the grocery store or do my laundry. So to me, having multiple part-time jobs and cobbling together a living from multiple income streams is sort of worth it for the freedom Mm -hmm. and flexibility that it brings me. So it's definitely not easy. Um, and some weeks I hate it, but you know, I can walk my dogs in the middle of the day or take Friday off and go enjoy the Sandias here in Albuquerque on a hike or something like that. Um, so for me, it's definitely worth it. And it's, it, I think you really have to have another flexible income stream if you are going to be a doula because you never know when you're going to get called to somebody's birth and you can't be like, you know, working a nine to five job and say to your boss, like, oh, sorry, I need to go. Um, somebody's water's just broke, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> freelance writing is pretty, pretty complimentary to doula work in that way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, why did you get into doula-ing? Um. Well, again, so when I finished my master's degree, I was a little bit at sea. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure that I really wanted to be an academic. I got a master's in creative writing, and I I still teach writing here and there, but I didn't think that I really wanted to become, you know, like a quote-unquote professional poet. Mm -hmm. And it's also very difficult to do that and wasn't uh, a struggle I really wanted to join in. So um, I had always been interested in pregnancy and birth, and babies. I had been a nanny and babysitter basically my whole life. Um, and my mom is a nurse still and mm-hmm. was a NICU and L&D and postpartum nurse, um, primarily NICU nurse when I was a kid, but she, you know, did all, all kinds of nursing. So I always had, you know, like an interest in pregnancy and birth. And um, I strongly identify as a feminist. And so I started feeling like 
birth was an area of the reproductive right spectrum that was sort of um, overlooked by feminism. And Mm -hmm. so to me, like having being respected and having choice and autonomy in your birth experience um, and having your birth the day you give birth to your baby culturally seen as, um, you know, one of the most important days of your life that you should be that should be everything that you want, you know, within reason really resonated with me. So I really come come to doula work from feminism rather than from um, the perspective of having my own birth and then becoming interested in birth in that way. I don't have any of my own children as of yet. So my commitment to doula work is definitely like as a feminist rather than on a personal experience level. Well, you're in really good company with that. I've talked to a lot, a lot of doulas um, over the years, and many of them come from a place of wanting to serve women, wanting to be um, able to advocate for women to have the birth that they want. Um, And, you know, some, some obviously do go into, you know, sort of the maternal health and the birth industry You've got a dog back there, don't you? I do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, they come to it because they've become mothers or because they attended a birth and were really moved. But many women come to it from the same place that you do, where it's a expression of service and commitment to feminism. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been like a really powerful force in my life being a doula, like in a way that I can't even really put into words like it's really deepened and changed my feminism in a lot of really profound ways Mm -hmm. and can you give me some examples I mean I think it's just you know as I said I think that birth is is very much like an overlooked aspect of reproductive rights of feminism of sort of like women's autonomy over their bodies so um to look at birth from a feminist perspective, you, you kind of have to, um, I mean, you can use the feminist toolkit, right? But you also have to like go deeper. I feel like birth is just so transformational in so many ways, not only for the person who's undergoing it, but for, you know, the, but for the father or the partner, but for the doula, for the attendants, for the midwife or the, the doctor sometimes. Um, and I think just like, really sort of setting aside my own ideas about what birth is and can be to just be present for people and to be with them as their life and their story and their motherhood unfolds in whatever way the universe gives to them is like, has been really a a really profound life lesson for me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm definitely someone who likes to like plan things out. And when things don't look the way they look in my head, I really struggle with that. And birth never looks the way it looks in your head. No, never. It always has a lesson to teach you. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it like very humbling. And as as, for someone like me, that's like very, you know, you know, like I sort of just plan my stuff and like get stuff done and like birth can't be planned or managed um, in that way. Too powerful, too unpredictable. Yeah. And so for me to like, I've now, I just did my 40th birth, um, just about a week ago. So, I mean, that's not, you know, there's plenty of doulas and people who have done way more than 40 births, but I've, you know, supported so many different kinds of people, kinds of women, kinds of partners, kinds of births in different locations with different goals and 
and ideas and just medical situations. And like, it's just really like taught me how much I don't know, I guess, mm-hmm. but also like how, what a gift it is to be present for people in, in that space in their life. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a gift. Yeah, it really is. One of my uh, earlier podcast episodes, I, I, uh, I did an episode called Frank Talk with the labor nurses. And I talked to a mother and daughter who are both labor and delivery nurses. Um, the mom, she and I worked together a million years ago back oh, wow. doing um, births. And as part of our conversation, her, her daughter's been at it for about, I don't know, eight or 10 years. Um, but we started trying to count up how many, how many births we'd been present for, and we couldn't do it. <laughs> we we, oh, couldn't, yeah. we couldn't do it as nurses. We couldn't do totally. it. Yeah. In the thousands. And, you know, many, many, many of those births were really moving. Oh, yeah. And some of them were really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Not, not many, but some. Um, I think that the more that you do this work, the more that you work with varieties of families and varieties of women and different kinds of situations, um, you see a real tapestry of experiences. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty significant. And I think, you know, people who are becoming doulas often come in really fired up with their ideas of, you know, um, you know, physiologic birth and less intervention. And I mean, certainly I think that they have, they have an agenda. Yeah. I think that certainly the United States could certainly do with less intervention in birth. But I, but now that I've been a doula for a while, you know, like there's really not a one size fits all approach. And it's, I don't, I certainly don't think it's the medical model, but I definitely don't think it's the, you know, squat down and just have your baby at home model either. Like, I think that, um, you know, experiencing quite a few different births really like, has really hit home the point to me that like birth is about that family, their experience, what they want. It's not about me. It's Mm -hmm. not about my ideas. It's not about, you know, not even necessarily the ideas of anybody else. It's, you know, and, and it's not how I feel about it either. If my client can leave their birth, um, feeling happy about whatever happened, you know, then that's all that I want. It's, it's yeah. their feelings and experience that matter, not mine and not anybody else's. And it's, um, I think sometimes when you're a new doula, you can feel like, okay, like I need to come in there with all my like tools and just like do as much as I can to like give her what she wants. But, um, you really can't give anybody what they want, you know, like it's, there's a lot of factors that combine, um, in a birth. And I just hope that everybody that, is giving birth, you know, anywhere, whether they're my dual client or, or anyone can just feel happy and, and like they were listened to and respected, um, on the day they become a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about your writing. And I have to admit, I am at a loss to speak very articulate, articulately about poetry. Oh, <laughs> I, I never studied it. I've never written it. I obviously read some. And in fact, I read a couple of your poems, which were just gorgeous. Um, but you're going to have to help me out on this one. You I, have, I, you have I, a couple of books of poetry most published, people right? don't know about poetry. So definitely don't feel bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. I, uh, I keep my poet life and my doula life pretty separate. Um, because I don't know, there's just not a lot of overlap. Um, you know, poetry is poetry. So 
some people are into it, some people aren't. Well, you know, I, I was actually, I was, <laughs> I looked at your, your doula website and I looked at your writing website yeah. and I was just, I was kind of, you know, wondering, could they be on the same website? Could you represent your career, you know, as one thing? I don't well, know. I don't know about, I don't know about the, the intersection of poetry and birth. I mean, I certainly don't hide it, you know, like, <laughs> but like Col- I don't a closet poet <laughs> who are hiring me to be their doula care about my poems, uh-huh. you know, like that's not what it's about. Like uh-huh. I'm there to support their vision of whatever. And, um, as I'm sure, you know, as, as a birthy person, like sort of quote unquote lay people, you know, they don't, people just don't like to talk about birth that much mm-hmm. <laughs> unless it's, you know, so I think I don't talk about, um, birth that much to my poetry friends or it comes a little bit into my poetry because it's definitely a big part of my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, poetry is sort of its own thing. It's, it's a niche thing. And, um, it's not something that I plan on stopping doing. I have a master's degree in it. I've had two books, but, um, it's not a moneymaker by any means. <laughs> no, nobody gets rich in America by being a poet, do they? Maybe like there's like five rich poets who yeah. are rich by being a poet. But, um, you know, like I would love to open more people's eyes to poetry if they knew I was a doula or, you know, open people's eyes to birth work if they know me as a poet. But I don't like presume to do that. Like, you know, maybe people who follow me on Twitter or something see me talking about multiple spheres and then they're like, oh, and they think a little bit differently about it. But I don't really like come in with flags bearing of, of both identities when I'm in either sphere, I mm-hmm. guess. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, you have a new book, right? Fat Daisies. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Um, so it is a book of poems um, that's sort of about being white and the internet and being a woman and sort of um, being a millennial. I just turned 30. Mm-hmm. So um it's a ve- I think it's a very like book of my generation of of the things that my generation is concerned with, which is, you know, um, trying to balance social justice and making a living and having a good life and learning about how to be a good person in the world. Um, but also sort of trying to, you know, reconcile that with wanting to have all the material trappings of your childhood and of a certain kind of middle-class existence. And I mean, it's a very, like I'm a white person. So I think it's a very, um, it's very much a book about being a certain kind of white person. So yeah, Hmm. that's what it's about. Hmm. I'm intrigued. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I always feel like that's, that's an area of my own education or literary life that, is lacking. Yeah, I would say, you know, most people in high school, like they read some, you know, Walt Whitman, or they read some whatever, and they're like, ooh, this is not for me, you know, and then it becomes this like, horrible thing you were um, required to do. And people sort of don't realize that poetry can be like, very of the moment, you know, very in and of the what we're our cultural zeitgeist, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it can be very current and emotional and engaging. Um, but um, unfortunately, that's not really what they teach you in high school. And most people don't go on to study literature after high school. So it kind of gets, you know, a bad name, I guess. Yeah. Or just not prioritized. Most of us oh, don't yeah. know. We just don't know what we're doing there. 
Right. <laughs> and if you don't live in the little like internet poetry niche, uh-huh. it's kind of hard to find your way into it, you know? Well, I'm going to look forward to learning more. Well, that would be great. Yeah. So as a freelance writer, and you mentioned you're not going to get rich on poetry, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're writing about um, a lot of different issues um, online and magazines. And in fact, we write for some of the same publications, I think. Fit Pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, that kind of brings us to the, the focus of this episode, which is talking about words that matter. And you, right. wrote, you wrote an essay for RH Reality Check called, A Baby Coming Out of a Vagina is a Vaginal Birth. There's no, wait a minute, dropping down here, no such thing as natural. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I, I need to give my dogs like a bone or something because they're going crazy. So sorry if it's a little noisy. Um, so I guess I, you know, since I'm a writer, I try to be very precise in the language that I use in talking about birth because I really feel that, you know, our language shapes our reality in many ways. And so I noticed, you know, this, this huge sort of disconnect um, between the vocabulary that people in the birth world use versus the, the vocabulary that people, you know, in the media and in the general public use, you know, there's this idea of natural Mm -hmm. quote unquote birth, Mm -hmm. which can mean birth with no pain meds. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what it's most oftenly used, you know, amongst doulas or, or birth professionals. But, um, I noticed that in the mainstream media, they would say like, even in the New York times, like it, I read an article about a woman who had a coerced cesarean and it said you know she wanted a natural birth Mm -hmm. so that means that she wanted her baby to come out of her vagina because that's a vaginal birth Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I felt I was sort of like why why is everybody always saying natural birth when they mean vaginal birth you mean that a baby is coming out of a vagina or or they mean an unmedicated birth right and I just feel like there's and so I always use the word unmedicated birth in my doula practice. I never say natural birth because mm-hmm. I feel like all birth is natural, right? Like a body came out of a baby, a baby came out of a body. And so that's natural, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I think that natural in related to unmed, as it relates to unmedicated birth is a very value laden judgment of somebody's choices and body and experience that I don't think helps anyone. Well, it in, can be, you know? but sometimes people use it. It's just their common vernacular. Well, so, right. And that's yeah. the thing, right? It's like, I'm always the person like, oh, you mean natural birth? Oh, do you mean unmedicated birth? Like trying to be very precise with my uh-huh. language where maybe it's, maybe I'm go too overboard about it. But um, the reason I wrote that RH reality tech piece was I just felt like, why are people scared to say vagina? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. People want to, if the people mean vaginal, then they should say vaginal. And if people mean unmedicated without, you know, an epidural or any other pain meds, then they should say unmedicated because Mm -hmm. to me, you know, natural, it's like you can go to the grocery store and there's all these, all these products on it that say natural Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean anything. Right. You know, like what does that really mean? Well, it's just supposed to have a label that means that it's somehow better, better for you. Um, And I don't think that that's necessarily true at birth mm-hmm. so so yeah you, you hear people using the term postpartum and what they mean is depression yes yeah she's got postpartum yes <laughs> I literally heard my client use that today and I was like wow yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she meant postpartum depression yeah well I, I definitely agree that we need to educate people about the accurate 
you know, use of terminology. But I'm also kind of sensitive to just allowing women to use the words that they want to use. I mean, yeah, and then I, mean, I clarify, you know, mm-hmm. which kind of natural are you talking about, unmedicated or vaginal? And right. then they tell me, and then they don't feel like they have to be censored in just using their own words to talk about their own experience. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a good, I should, I should actually probably try that more. Well, you know, we add new words to the dictionary every year, you know? Yeah. I, I think that language evolves. I do think that very often it's a matter of people don't have enough words in their vocabulary or they're mm-hmm. not comfortable with certain words. Right. And so they default to words like natural. Right. You know, and, you know, not everybody is thinking as hard or as intensely uh, about birth as I am every yeah. day. You know, like it's what I'm constantly reading about and thinking about. So, like, I don't necessarily expect everybody to, you know be like so intense about it as I am but I do think as I mentioned before that like you know the things we read the things we hear the speech from others it affects our worldview and our feelings about ourselves and our and our experiences so I remember a a long 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 time ago I was doing I was attending a birth and I was the labor nurse for a family and um it was a multi-generational delivery room there was the mother, there was her mother, there was her grandmother. Oh, wow. And the grandmother was, I don't know, probably 70s. Um, and she kept using the word hoo-ha for vagina. <laughs> yeah. Hoo-ha. That thing's going to come out your hoo-ha. And her daughter, or maybe it was the granddaughter, was really embarrassed about it and thought that it made her grandmother sound repressed or ignorant and she actually called her on it and the grandmother said I use my own words I can talk about it any way I want I've been talking about hoo-ha since before you were born (laughs) (laughs) there you go lady I love that yeah yeah it was fun but I am I am like you very very sensitive to the language we use to describe mothers and Mm -hmm. and the experience of motherhood and we use terms like sucker mom or stay-at-home mom or right. working mom and they're they're all kind of diminutizing limiting yes, box are. making terms and yeah. and most of them um are, are actually kind of derogatory and they ne- negate what women and mothers are all about like nobody says she's a soccer mom and means that as compliment of the day yeah they mean true. she is you know insignificant because her role is to drive her children to soccer or or one that just really drives me crazy, and it's because I have a teenage daughter, um, is mom jeans. I fucking <laughs> hate that term. <laughs> They're just pants. Why? Yeah. You know? It's just stuff like that. It's right. diminutizing. It's limiting. It's, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's like that saying about bikini body, right? That's like, here's how to have a bikini body. Put a bikini on your body. I right? love that. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, they're just pants. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this whole sort of, like, mommy wars thing that, that happens so much in birth as well, right? And and in breastfeeding is like, well, I did it this way, and so I'm in this faction. Yeah. And you're in another faction. And, like... Do you really think there are mommy wars? I mean, do you know any women who are actually that derogatory towards each other? I I don't. I, I mean, don't either. None of us I, do. I think I it's fabricated. Like it's, it's just this made up thing in the media, but yeah, it, it, but it definitely drives people's hurt feelings, people's, you know, 
people's guilt, people's shame for insecurity. It's yeah. very insecurity driven. And it's really sad because, you know, like everybody's just trying to do the best thing, you but, know? But I think that I think that it is media driven and it lets women think that there's this competition out there. But when you and the women in your life are actually sitting down together and talking about the different choices and different techniques, different ways that you go about, you know, being pregnant or having your baby or feeding your baby or raising that child or, you know, all the way up throughout your entire motherhood career, which goes on a long time, (laughs) (laughs) says the mother of many here. Um, You know, there really isn't this competition. There really isn't. You sit down together and you talk about things and there might be some disagreement, but nobody's really all that in your face. I just don't think it's real. Oh, I hope that's not true. Yeah. I'm not a mother yet and I hope I'm not going into some like big fighting ring. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, I, you know, I had a postpartum visit with a client today and she was somebody who really, really wanted an an unmedicated birth. Um, And she had an unmedicated birth that she fought super hard for and was like a total warrior goddess and just, you know, was awesome. But she was like, you know, there's 20 women at my work and I had this baby shower and every single person was like, get the epidural, get the epidural. And everybody just kept telling me these horror stories of their own births. And I was like, I mean, I often hear this from my clients is that when they're pregnant, like other women just tell them really horrible stories about birth and breastfeeding. And I'm like, why, why? Why is, you know, like, no, I mean, you don't want people to go into something totally blind, but like, can we try to instill each other with like some confidence and, and excitement and positivity instead of saying, oh, it's going to be the worst thing ever. You know, you're going to end up in an, in an emergency cesarean and you're going to have postpartum depression and you're not going to be able to breastfeed and it's terrible just like me. But I think that so much of this is coming out of, um, you know, people's own trauma, and experiences that they had that that didn't serve them and that, you know, they don't know how to deal with it other than to sort of like warn someone else. Mm-hmm. I also think that we live in a culture where struggle is valued. And, yeah. And that. Oh, that's a really good point. And that we. Um, we like victims. We like to, we're important if we have struggled and had a really rough time of it. More so than if we say, yeah, I, I had a hard time of it, but I got through it. I'm fine. Everything's okay. You know, which is sort of the common experience. Yeah. There's, there's certainly extremes on either side, but most women think it's a pretty, pretty damn challenging experience and they had some struggles and it didn't go the way that they wanted exactly, but they came out the other side and they're okay with it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about the term fierce feminist? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of inclined to like it. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) Because I don't see being a feminist as being a bad thing. Right. But I know it it, in wider culture can be a bad thing. Right. I I have no trouble with the word feminist. I'm all over that. Yeah. Absolutely a feminist. But I don't think I'm terribly fierce. And frankly. How come? um, Because to me, the term fierce 
means someone to be afraid of, someone who is aggressive. Somebody, I mean, when I think of fierce, I think of a tiger with its teeth bared. And that's not me. Nope. Fair enough. Yeah. It's a good term, but it's limiting, I think, too. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of the, the big challenge that we have is to, you know, we're always telling toddlers, use your words. <laughs> you know, right. use all the words. There's so many words. Use them all. It's, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, as somebody who, like, largely writes for the Internet and, like, exists on the Internet, I just feel like I see so many words all the time that – and sometimes they seem so powerful and mm-hmm. then other times they seem so meaningless because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think a lot about, like, how to really reach people now in this age of, you know, social media and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and whatever to, like – really foster um people's connections with each other but also like engagement in in their own experiences as mothers that and and have that be positive right and have that not be feeling judged or being you know a not as good feminist or you know there's this writer Roxane Gay Mm -hmm. she has a book called Bad Feminist Uh which is sort of a tongue-in-cheek you know I guess she does write in it about how she's a quote unquote, you know, sort of bad feminist. But her sort of larger point is like there isn't really one way to be a feminist and, and there shouldn't be, which I certainly agree with. Well, I'm significantly older than you are. And I've been <laughs> steeped in the uh, in the feminist world for decades now, m- many, many decades. And I remember that being challenged with with you know, people would say, you can't be a feminist because you shave your legs. Right. Or I don't think you're actually a feminist because you're just not that strident. Or, and then I've gotten, you know, I'm pretty politically active. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten um, responses from people who challenge me in terms of politicizing it. Oh, you're just trying to, you know, you're... You're not really a feminist. You're really a politician, which I'm not. I'm, I never run for political office. But, yeah. you know, there's just all of these. They take the term. They try to negate it by saying, no, that's not true because that's not you. Right. They've got an image in their mind as to what it means to be a feminist. And I think that we have a responsibility as writers to open the gate. There's a lot of different kinds of feminism out there. And yeah. It, and that's I like a range. And a lot of different kinds of motherhood, right? I mean, a lot of different right. ways that you can be a mother, be a woman. You can have kids. You can have not kids. You cannot have kids. You know, you can like, you know, sort of do whatever you want. And like, there's no one right way of doing anything. Yeah. yeah. But I think we, our culture also puts a lot of um, emphasis on, you know, like the expert, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, what what do the experts say? And we should do that. And like, you know, certainly we, experts are awesome, but like you're yourself you're the only person who is you mm-hmm. and so your own inner guide I think is also something valuable to listen to yeah but I think it often gets stamped down in in the like din of, of our culture yeah it's pretty there's a lot of voices a yeah lot of, a lot of shouting a lot of a lot of cyber chatter a lot of too much I think yeah yeah I remember I, when I was having my um first kids and my kids are actually close to your age. Um, there were so many books. We really, we were not, I mean, it was pre-internet, so we weren't inundated right. with this information. But mm-hmm. you still had the feeling like 
that book is too much this. This book is telling me I have to do that. That idea right. is telling me. And it, and none of it said, oh, honey, just, you know what? Just do the best you can and go with your gut and, yeah. you know, focus on kindness and try to raise the kid in front of you, not the kid you thought you were going to have. Yeah. Totally. And then whatever you do, it's going to be okay. Nothing like that. But I felt, you know, often when I was reading the books back then, some of the information was great and some of it was just it make you anxious. And a lot of us kind of thought, you know, maybe less is more. And now, you know, all these years later, I look back on motherhood from a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I believe more than ever, honey, just do the best you can. <laughs> yeah. Err on I- the side of kindness if you can do it. Yeah. I'm not even a mother and I feel that way, but I'm sort of like a like a visitor in the land of motherhood right Mm -hmm. now. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like (laughs) I live in the land, but I don't participate in the land. So I'm kind of like a weird spectator, but, um, well, I always like to ask women who are mothers on the, mm -hmm. on the podcast, this final question. And, um, the, and I decided to ask it of women who aren't mothers too, because a young woman, I know a friend of mine, um, recently, answered the question like this. She said, I'm not a mom yet. I don't know if I'm going to be a mom or when I'll be a mom. My life as a mom is still in relationship to my own mother. And I'm undecided about my own future as a mom. So I guess that's what I'd say. I'm undecided about my life as a mom. Um, And so, you know, I kind of thought it really is kind of a good question for everybody. Where Where are you in your life as a mom? Well, I just got married like five, almost six months ago. So lovely. I'm hopefully coming up on my motherhood horizon, but definitely not, not there yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm, you know, I've been engaged in some low key motherhood since I was a kid, you know, just in being a babysitter and a nanny. And I've now that I've been a doula, like I feel like so much of my life has been spent around and in support of motherhood mm-hmm. that I feel um, very excited, but also like quite apprehensive to do it myself. Mm-hmm. I think that that um, shows really good judgment. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> you're not, you don't know what it's going to be until you're in it, right? So oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, you just have to go in it and see what it's like, I guess. Right. And even once you've had one, you know, you think the next time you're going to know what you're doing? No. Right. Because it's an entirely different kid. That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you have another one after that and you think, oh, man, if I've got two, I can handle three. And then you realize <laughs> I am drowning. I don't know. What I'm How doing. many kids do you have? I have three daughters and a son and a niece who are all mine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they range from 16 to 31. Wow. Yeah. So I've been at it a while. And I'm, you know, I'm humbled by the experience. I'm, yeah. my, my youngest is 16. So we've got a, you know, another two, three years of kids in the house. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ending, I'm ending that stage of motherhood, the, you know, raising minors stage. And um, more than ever, it's about being um, the mother of adult children. And yeah. it's, which right. is entirely different. Right. Yeah. And I imagine is like scary and in totally its own way, you know, it can be. Yeah. yeah. As with any stage of, of parenting, you know, yeah. pre-parenting, you know, new parenting, 
in the middle of the toddler years, in the middle of the preteen years, you know, every single stage, it has its terrors, but it also mostly doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. you bump along doing the best you can. I mean, you figure it out in some way, right? Because you have to. Right. Right. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Survival, remember, right? <laughs> like, I guess now it's been like, you know, six years ago, um, the first one of my friends to have a baby, she's one of my best friends and she had a baby and you know, I just felt like, wow, she's like on a totally different like plane of existence than me now, Mm -hmm. you know, like obviously we're still friends and whatever, you know, we grew up together, so we still have a lot in common, but I'm just like her, like, she's just like on another level of what it means to be human Mm -hmm. in a way, Mm -hmm. which I feel like maybe is making parenthood like too big of a, too big of a thing. But I definitely feel like it's, you know, like, one of the fundamental experiences of being human that I would like to experience, but that I feel definitely freaked out about. Mm-hmm. So I de- like, yeah, like you said, all these different stages, it's just like, whoa, you just have to muddle through. Yeah. It's harder and easier than you think it is. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Carrie, we have been on the phone for a good long time here. So I think Let's go ahead and wrap it up for today. Okay. Um, I bet we're going to have more to talk about down the road. It's really great that you came on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm very honored to come on and talk a little bit about writing and birth and the language we use around birth, which are like some of my favorite things to talk about. So and thank you so much for having me. And why words matter. Yes. Yeah, great. All right. Bye, Carrie. Okay, bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days. guest was Carrie Murphy. You can learn more about her work as a doula at CarrieMurphyDoula.com. You can learn more about her writing at Carrie-Murphy.com. This podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can learn more about my work on JeanFaulkner.com. And please send me emails, ideas for new podcasts, and questions to Jean at JeanFaulkner.com. Thanks for listening, and let's keep talking, because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah.